Well, welcome back to the Argus Hydrogen Future Fuels podcast. I'm joined today by Sebastian Vogel, Director of Hydrogen Strategy at RWE. We've done plenty of podcasts with companies uh, involved um, directly in hydrogen uh, at different lengths of the chain. This is an interesting one uh, for me, as it's a company that's leading into hydrogen. So, Sebastian, welcome. Well, it's um, as I say, it's an interesting one uh, for me um, because obviously your company is already involved in you know renewables, um, distribution. You have power generation in the portfolio. From from that perspective, you can also be an off-taker, uh, presumably as well as a as a producer and trader. Can you tell us a little bit, just just for our read, uh, listeners, uh, about about how many people you have working here? Uh, hydrogen uh, projects within RWE? Absolutely, Tim. We, we started this journey about two years ago when setting up a formal team um, with hydrogen that uh, has grown to north of 100 people dedicated to it, technical perspective, commercial perspective. But across the group, I would say it's more like 200 to 300 because trading is involved. The legal teams now deal with hydrogen. The, com- the communications team deal with hydrogen. So that's, it's a growing and it's a quickly growing. And is is that all hydrogen dedicated, or do they tend do they fall within a sort of low carbon team or a net zero? Our mission is largely green hydrogen. So when it comes to producing hydrogen, then it's largely green hydrogen, and that that's the dedicated team I'm also part of. Um, and I think we were just crossed the 100 100 people mark dedicated just to setting up green hydrogen production value chains and integrating with industrial offtakers, and that it's only to be followed by more people. Um, because as, as you outlined, we will eventually also be a major offtake of hydrogen at some point in our gas-fired fleet. Um, so that's only the starting point. Fantastic. I wanted to start off just asking some specific questions because you have um, you have interests along uh, the entire chain uh, for hydrogen. So one of the things I was, I was quite keen to understand was uh, on the storage side. You have the salt caverns in Germany and you're actually converting, I believe, uh, nat gas uh, caverns to hydrogen ones. And I, I bring this up because I, I saw uh, in our news the other day that you'd more than doubled the storage capacity um, to, I think, 66 million cubic feet. You obviously see both high production volumes and demand. Um, but I saw that 28 million cubic um, meters were dedicated to customers. So firstly, what is involved in the conversion of a natural gas storage cavern to a hydrogen one? At a very simple level, I mean, what, what you're doing with a sack cavern is you're already using it for a natural gas or even for for oil. Um, mm. And you can do pretty much the same thing with hydrogen. The only thing you have to change is basically everything you can see from the top. So all the above the earth installations you have to change, but the technology below it is largely a big, massive hole in a salt cavern. That's what we're going to use for hydrogen going forward. Um, you need a bit of con- time to convert that, but based on an, an existing um, uh, stock, you could, it, it, it's cheaper and it's quicker, but you shouldn't underestimate the overall time it needs. Um, and I think it's glad that you mentioned this as a starting point, Tim. I think hydrogen storage is probably the most underestimated part of the entire value chain because we will need that massively um, mm. and it will be major role in the future. It is. Um, it's been a sleeper for conversations. Um, it is. You know, it's something that ha- hasn't been spoken about, but it's increasingly coming to the fore, and it, it, it does need to. One question I have to ask is, obviously, you've just doubled the size of uh, what you're, you're planning to store. I mean, yeah. I think I know the answer, but how, how confident are you that, that that supply will come? There are snags uh, that are happening in the hydrogen ecosystem build-out at the moment. So so how confident do you feel that, that supply will come um, 
you know, for these these storage facilities. Yeah, here's again our chicken and egg problem that we see all over the place in the hydrogen <laughs> value chain. Obviously, storage serves two purposes, right? One is balance seasonal differences, mm. and with with green hydrogen in particular, it also has to balance the different generation patterns, right? The sun's not blowing at night and uh, wind's not blowing the same way across all months. So electrolysis um, runs not full-time and hydrogen will cover that. Um, most industrial processes that will need hydrogen, on the other hand, they run 24 seven. So mm. here comes storage. Um, and that's why <laughs> we in include them in those large scale end-to-end um, -end projects that we are pushing. So. Take, take the example of, um, of our Get H2 initiative. That's the major flagship in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, we're building that with a couple of partners and the salt cavern that you mentioned is part of it, but also the electrolysis part um, that we are driving here from RDB generation. We're building up to 300 megawatts in the, uh, in, in the next couple of years, the first 100 megawatts 2024, and then adding um, 100 megawatts every other year. Um, as part of the process, we will be adding those salt caverns that you just mentioned, and we work with pipeline suppliers to connect them eventually. So, and the moment you have industrial off-takers included in that setup, then you have a working ecosystem. But it's about creating these local ecosystems. That's the part where, where things uh, have to get started. And storage plays an increasingly important role. And as I said, it's totally underestimated, but players in the European Union have seen that. So it's part of a list, um, we call it the projects of common European inter interest. It, it, it would be part of the funding there and we hope to get it uh, get it done in the next couple of years. Yeah. And so of course, this isn't just for uh, volumes that you're capturing. This is a commercial facility. Are TSOs and others lining up to be able to actually book space uh, in these caverns? Uh, sorry, for a state aid decision for both the caverns and uh, I think your facility in Lingen at 200 megawatts. Now, obviously, projects, <laughs> they're not built quickly. The delays on EU decisions push back start times. That being said, I, I know that you placed an order with ITM uh, for that electrolyzer anyway to avoid delays, but you haven't put, pulled the trigger on FID yet. So long-winded question. Do you think that others, not just yourselves, will have to press on with purchasing critical equipment parts regardless of decisions or do you think there'll be a resolution to the logjam uh, on decision making this year? Yeah, I think you have to differentiate between the current situation and uh, the method. And what we are doing now is certainly nothing which should become the norm, right? We we place those orders because we have to keep the timetable for those projects, and we believe in the success of green hydrogen, and we want to build the electrolyzers with that capacity. Mm. So we try to do everything to get things moving quickly um, until politicians untie the regulatory knots approve the funding. But as I said, that cannot be the norm. Um, and I think other other companies are asking the same questions. But we are fairly confident that eventually it will come um, and we work closely with the authorities to, to get the funding approved quickly and then proceed and certainly looking at further expansion stages. Yeah. Well, I suppose just switching gears a little bit, you're 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 closely associated um, with hydrogen in Europe, but of course you do have wider concerns and interests as well. For example, I, I know that you're taking uh, an offtake of 300,000 tons a year of green ammonia from Namibia's hyphen project starting in 2027. So I guess actually that comes back to storage as well, because we talked about the salt caverns initially, but you're building an import terminal, terminal in, um, in, in Brunsbüttel, I've said that wrong, I'm sure, for 2026, 300,000 tons a year. I, I suppose one question I have is, does that mean that the question of hydrogen vectors 
is settled in your minds or is that more of a reflection of higher certainty around ammonia demand um, that you're putting in something for the ammonia terminals? No, Tim, I would say the jury is still out there on the right vectors, um, but there's a few no-brainers. I mean, ammonia has its market already today. It is a mm. commodity that's being shipped. Um, hence, it will, to some extent, uh, have to become green sooner or later. Um, that, that's the no-regret part. And there's a lot of further applications down the road, which we still have to build and develop, which will make also ammonia a potential, not only a carrier, but also um, a product to be used going forward. Um, you have to start somewhere, and it all starts with infrastructure. And you, you mentioned the terminal, and yeah, Brunsbüttel just spelled that right. It all comes down to infrastructure, right? Like, like with storage, with um, pipelines, um, someone has to start building terminals, then you can start solving the chicken and egg problem. And for us, it means Europe has always been uh, an import, an import, net importer of energy. Um, so also green molecules will come to shore um, they need need a terminal, and hence Brunsbüttel will add to that story. Mm. Um, we try to be on the forefront, um, work with players across the globe, actually, um, to diversify our sources. But um, those projects also need the, the security on the offtaker side, and that's the part RWE can play. And it, it's not it's not a competition to other activities that we do here, but it's rather complementary. Um, yes. And we will have to see how that develops. It is challenging, isn't it? Um, where, where to put your pennies um, in terms of infrastructure. Um, I'm, I'm going out to Dubai, I think, later this month uh, for a conversation on this at a conference. And it is challenging because um, you can put ammonia to one side uh, and look at it on a direct use basis. But then you can also put it back into the conversation with LOHC and liquefaction. Ammonia sits there as well. If you're looking to I guess, regasify, crack, whatever you want to say, um, and get back to hydrogen for direct use. Do, do, do you think that it's easier for people to contextualise uh, ammonia demand rather than um, hydrogen gas demand at present? I'd say for the average user, both, both are pretty far away. At the end of the day, we have to try a couple of things. For Europe, it means adding, adding to the mix, right? So domestic production will matter. There will be largely electrolytic. We will see imports from neighboring countries that come through pipelines. We will see international imports. They may come from probably ammonia, methanol, or other vectors. The jury is still out there. Um, but I think we have to prepare for to diversify our input uh, abilities. And ammonia is, 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 as I said, the no regret move, um, yep. as well as methanol, I would argue. And I guess one of the things that's a little bit interesting at the moment is that you're seeing I've seen a, a recent trend of people uh, looking towards not um, not hydrogen as as a vector, but certainly as as a as a, as a final product. Um, so you're seeing in stranded areas uh, there is a lot of interest in can we convert it to ammonia uh, for direct use? Can we move it into things like e-gasoline or e-saf? Are these areas that you're exploring as well, or that you've noticed this trend around? We clearly see that, and uh, we notice the enthusiasm in, in the market. <laughs> but at the end of the day, at, at one point, things have to come down to, to facts and reality, and we have to make ends meet, so the business case matters. We may not be there in, in, on, in all off-taker segments. Um, our mission right now is get the entire hydrogen economy going. Um, and when, it, when we speak of low-carbon hydrogen, then we still have to face the fact that there is a pretty good alternative out there, which is called fossil fuel or fossil hydrogen, and mm -hmm. there's a significant price gap. So it's either the stick or the carrot, and most jurisdictions differ a bit uh, whether they rather go the stick road or the carrot road. But getting those initial use cases done, that, that's our main priority. That's why we focus on 
projects that are relevant early, such as the Get H2 I just mentioned, 2024, that's not far away. Certainly we watch also beyond 2030 and, and into the 40s. But first of all, we have to get the whole thing going. And then if that works out and if the economics work out, then we can start thinking about um, um, the, those other use cases. Yeah. And I think you just mentioned being realistic. One of the things that um, uh, everyone's quite focused on at the moment is that there's a there's a very large delta between uh, announced projects, those going into uh, deeper degrees of planning and those that have hit FID. And, and that last one has really been quite a, a slow creep. I think in uh, the last four months, we've only seen 0.2 gigawatts worth of electrolytic projects moving into FID. Um, so that's very, very slow. Do you see that um, that logjam being improved um, as regulation firms? Uh, and is there a danger there that uh, that we are sliding sliding on timelines? Yeah, I I, I share your concern. Then um, going forward, we ha time is running out at some point, right? Twenty twenty thirty is a bit over eighteen months to go. Only in twenty fifty is also not too far. So that's a mm. massive journey mankind has to undertake. And everyone is struggling with, with similar questions, uh, getting the business case done. The worst thing you can do is create uncertainty in such an environment. If you <laughs> want to go really into uncharted territory, uh, be a first mover. You, the main thing you want is clarity, stability, and ideally predictability for your business case. Now, some of those concerns are, have improved recently. Right. Um, we'll probably talk about the, the delegated act on the green power criteria in the European mm. Union. The, the US went forward with the IRA. So that all adds to further clarity and improvement. And I think that's more than welcome. That will help us a lot of projects now go to the next step. Um, yeah. The, the process we did with our Lingen project by, by going forward and ordering at least the first batch of equipment, that cannot be the norm. But I would say... Things are improving, um, and they must be. Politicians <laughs> have to untie the knots. That's their role. And our role is to develop projects to the extent that we can, and then take the remaining risks and go and move. Because the hydrogen ramp up, at the end of the day, that's completely indispensable to decarbonize our industry. And from a, from a human perspective, it's a massive opportunity as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... Um... My 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 feeling is that it's going to be a very very big year for this year. Uh, sorry for for hydrogen this year, in that we're going to see, firstly, a lot of projects announced and not necessarily on the green side, but also that we'll see movement um, on project progression. So I, I'm expecting both of those things this year. <laughs> I promise I won't talk any more about storage. Um, you're also involved in pipeline developments with Equinor, and I, I say storage, it's latent storage, um, which means that you're an off-taker for blue hydrogen as well. Now, obviously, you have uh, trading activities in-house as well. Looking forward to, say, 2035, that kind of timeline, do you see a market for people blending hydrogen streams to hit carbon intensity targets for customers? I would say in this the, the, the very general way, Tim, that you asked, um, the answer <laughs> is a clear yes. Um, the more interesting question is where and how does this make most sense? Mm. Um at the end of the day, we have to remind ourselves what, what is the journey we're on. And that means decarbonizing industry and basically a lot of other applications. There may be areas where this could be the way to go. And certain markets are looking more enthusiastically in this direction. For example, the UK is investigating more, more intensely whether blending could be a way to go or not. And I would say for certain 
geographies that could be a route, um, but certainly not for the mainstream uh, use case. We, for, for our core markets, in particular Germany, um, we're fairly clearly convinced that there is a need for dedicated pure 100% hydrogen infrastructure that connects the main import and production centers in the north with the mm. industrial offtake in the west and the south. Um, that's the basis of our Hercules project, uh, which we're developing together with a, a grid operator, OGE. Um, that will be the main use case, and I think that will apply to a lot of other markets. Understood. Um, and, and I'm sorry, I was I was slightly uh, confusing what I said there. Um, rather than natural gas blending uh, with hydrogen, I was talking about carbon intensity blending. So, for example, if you look at a customer saying, I have made commitments to decarbonize by a certain amount by this timeline, can I get a carbon intensity product uh, or reduction of this much, which would allow, allow someone to uh, mix let's say uh, you know blue and green hydrogen to their to their target is that a likely likely scenario do you think you know rational actors trying to hit where they said they would be uh, at certain points and is that something that uh, that traders could step in and fill uh, i mean let, let's go back to the pipeline tim i mean the pipeline i, I usually tell people it's pretty dark in there so people don't see any color in there and <laughs> you have to be agnostic as a as a grid operator um so you will see all sorts of blend of green blue and 50 shades of green in between at the end of the day, we need a dedicated certification and trading system, which makes sure that whatever you pay for is what eventually gets fed into the system. Um, that Let me call it the, 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 the vision uh, towards the end. And that means allowing all sorts of hydrogen into such a system. But you have to be clear what you're buying. So what the actual carbon footprint is, where it comes from, et cetera. Um, there's a huge market. For, for the for trading exactly those certificates and schemes, but I think that that would be the way it will evolve, especially in the early years. Green hydrogen will never be able to uh, to supply all the all the potential needs. So um, we have to be sure for the ramp up that we resort to low carbon hydrogen by different sources. I think that's yep. clear. But the end game both from a cost perspective, but also from a CO2 perspective, that will always be green. And that's also the mission we as RWE work for. But we acknowledge that in, in the early years, you need, you need other sorts of low carbon hydrogen to allow that ramp up. Yeah. Actually, just looking closer to home, you, you talked about um, the potential for RWE to be a massive offtaker. And of course, that you're talking about um, using it in, in uh, power generation plants. Um, Two things. What would, what sort of demand could there be uh, in the future from those in terms of volume? And then secondly, of course, how is your hydrogen-ready CCGT turbine development coming? Yeah, let's 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 start with the overall market. Um, if you had asked the same question maybe two years ago, I would have said this is pretty far distant. Right now, I think it's coming much quicker than we think, especially in in markets such as Germany. Um, and the moment we want to get to a carbon neutral electricity grid, then firm flex capacity, which runs on low carbon or green hydrogen, will be a massive need. Um, we have those times when the wind is not blowing, the sun is not shining, so renewables come to their limits. And I think the German language give, gave a very nice word to the rest of the world, which we call it the Dunkelflaute, uh, basically the dark times when they're where there's no wind and that we have to cover with firm flex capacity. To, and for that to be carbon neutral requires hydrogen at some point. Yeah. Um, 
and for that we have we have a massive market um uh even uh even already in the somewhere in the 2030s our our mission is to build those hydrogen ready when the volumes are available then um they they will also be run based on on hydrogen we just bought an entire gas uh plant in the netherlands which today can already run on 30 percent of hydrogen so turbine hmm. makers are working on that heavily and we work with them um to make sure that uh, both new builds and existing assets can be converted now the uh, the the path will be different plant by plant but everything we build new we will always uh, keep in mind uh, to build it h2 ready and to convert it as soon as possible um, and we work with the with the authorities to make sure that the right incentives are set to run them eventually on hydrogen so i suppose um one of the things i wanted to ask was that uh you said that clarity is is coming and it's always welcome but regulation differs quite widely between say the eu and the us uh, ira act for example do do you think the eu has the potential for over engineering um the landscape for starters the european union was let's say the at the forefront of the whole hydrogen development i think that's it's really important to appreciate that that got the whole thing going early on and that encouraged other markets to follow suit i think competition in that sense is very helpful now we, pr we certainly would have wished that certain things have evolved quicker um we talked about um, funding approvals already um regulatory clarity so yes, there is always a risk uh, of falling behind, and you can always learn uh, from other markets. I think you should do. Um, the US has delivered a, a very simple, straightforward, pragmatic piece of legislation with the IRA. Um, it is clear, and you can you can base long-term investment decisions on that, and that that is very appealing, not only to yeah. us. It's uh, its power is in, is in its simplicity. Um, as what we we felt when we saw it come out, but it, I mean, it's interesting as well because um, if you look if you if you look westwards to the US, it's obviously a potential supplier. It's a very very low on, on the cost curve for both blue uh, and green hydrogen. Even if you look uh, to the east, to the Middle East, um, and North Africa as well. Obviously, these would be um, Clear, clear locations uh, that could act as exporters to the European Union. At the same time, with some of the demands that we're seeing around uh, geographical and temporal correlation, there are some people um, just saying, I might just look further eastwards, for example, if I'm in uh, the Middle East and just export to uh, to Asia, um, because it's just easier. And so I absolutely agree with you. Um, it's, it's Without the European Union, there would be no um, hydrogen economy in the offing. Absolutely fundamental to its development. Um, but it's, it, it does it does seem to have some challenges with uh, of offering a simple message. Certainly, yeah. pragmatism helps and simple regulation, um, they will accelerate the transformation. Um, mm. In that sense, the EU can always take a leaf out of the US book. Um, <laughs> Never, nevertheless, um, all markets need need to find their way, and I think situations are always qu quite different, and not not every every system works all over the place. Um, but I'm with you that at least the me the message most Europeans should have learned by now is okay. We may had a had a head start, but let's make sure we we stay in the in the top group. And the EU or Europe in general is a massive market. Let's not forget that. Um, whatever we design in terms of regulation has impact, um, and uh, we we see that in 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 some other regulation where we where we require similar 
aspects also from our imports um, because mm. you talked about ammonia um, they will have to comply with additionality as well and i yep. think that that that's only fair to request that um uh, to, to create a level playing field yeah I, I think that's that's what it comes down to in the end the real politic is that uh, it's a huge market the eu uh, and it will be made to work <laughs> from external parties regardless a way will be found um just uh, let's finish off on the states actually because we're we're coming some way into our, our uh, podcast here uh, rw obviously very active in the states um you bought into uh, renewables there in a big way recently and congratulations um i wanted to ask will the ira act draw you westwards as things stand yeah is, is it a siren call uh, to a company like rwe uh, to base production there or are you are you, gonna, are you are you very much committed to the european side of things well you could do one thing without uh, leaving the others somewhere else. So I would always argue um, RWE is a global company. We have a yes, we have a strong footprint in Europe, and our, Germany is our home market. But uh, we've developed a massive footprint in the US, and with the with the recent acquisition you mentioned, um, so what we call now the RWE Clean Energy is a top player in the renewables market in the US, and for that matter, also hydrogen is something we're looking into. Uh, derivatives. We work with partners already. In the in, in the Gulf of Mexico to work on uh, on, on low carbon ammonia projects. So um, I wouldn't say it's moving more more westwards, but we are building in the same way we're building Europe. We are going forward to build also the U.S. It is an attractive market. It has attractive regulation, and and we are we are respected and established players in both. So clearly clearly both have priority. Yep, and it's obviously going to be a, a multi region market as well, um, both uh, both hydrogen and ammonia. Well, look, Sebastian, uh, we could talk a lot longer, <laughs> but uh, I'd like to thank you uh, for coming onto the podcast today. I hope it was enjoyable. It was. A pleasure to be with you, Tim. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much for joining. Uh, and Argus Hydrogen and Future Fuels will be back. <laughs>